It's great. It's a privilege for me to be here tonight. Um, this place holds a, a few memories. Hawke's Bay holds a lot of memories for me. And I'd just like to thank Pastor Mike and Joy for uh, allowing us, or myself, to speak and, and having us here. Um, it's great to see some crazy young people. Got to have crazy young people. Yep, that's right. Yep, there was one, two out there. No, I'm sure you got some crazies in here. It's great to be crazy, to be on the edge, because you just never know where God is going to open a door. And, and for me, I'm naturally not that crazy. I'm not. Pastor Dave, I'm not that crazy. Pastor Lance is crazy, another friend that we go hunting with. But I'm, I'm not naturally that crazy. But I'm inquisitive. And so often I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll be inquisitive and I'll say, God, what, what, what are you doing over here? And I'm, just because I'm inquisitive enough, God will blow the doors off something and open it up so bigger than I could ever imagine. And I've got other youth leaders around about me who are crazy enough to run with things. And so um, we're going to play you a little clip of something that we've, um, we've just done recently as a youth team. Um, this is our third year uh, for this event, and it just started out something tiny. It started out, we, we run our Friday night programs, and at this stage they were probably, I don't know, 30, around about 30 youth would come along to our Friday night programs. And um, we decided in a, in a planning meeting it would be great to do something with wrestling. Um, not, not because we love wrestling, but I thought in, in my mind and how I think, ah, oh, I could, I could preach an amazing message about we wrestle and talk about the things that young people wrestle with. Yeah, that'd be cool. And maybe we could hire one of those sumo suits and we could get our, our 40 youth and take turns and, you know, pad up a corner of our youth room and, and do some crazy stuff with our 40 young people and, and have some fun. And so we, we embarked on a little bit of a trip, a little bit of a journey there, and it, it's ended up blowing our socks off and becoming far bigger than our our 40 young people in the corner of, of our revolution room. And um, we've just finished. It's the biggest, it's turned into the biggest outreach that the church holds in a year, run by our youth team, organized by the youth team. We just had 1,300 people uh, at We Wrestle. And that's only because the building can only fit 1,300 people. And um, next year we're, we're getting fire permits to take it to 1,500 people. And we're already looking at the... Um, uh, the other place where they had the Shane Cameron tour fight because that holds 3,000. So we know that um, God's doing some crazy stuff out there. It's heaps of fun. And are we ready to roll that clip? Okay, this is uh, last week. Oh, that's, uh, that's starting again. That's not it. That's Zumba. Zumba were the sponsors, so they came in the front. So, so that's, what, that's what we've been up to. The whole night is, is called um, Champion of Champions. And so we pitched the whole night that really the real champions were the fathers um, because we wanted to, we had a vision to pack the place with fathers that they would bring their kids and that we'd be able to minister them, um, show them some fun, have some great fun times, even had a cage match. I mean, these, these youth leaders that we got are crazy people. And so I, I especially like the backflip off the top of the cage, but crazy guys. And that actually, the guy who, who does the backflip off the top of the cage, he broke his back um, in a, a snowboarding accident a few years ago. And so it's just, a, it's an amazing testimony to the power of God and God's healing that he can in fact do those crazy uh, Mexican wrestling moves. Um, so that, that's what our youth team um, has just finished doing. I'm actually on holiday. I've got a, a week off of family time because it'd be pointless 
um, trying to uh, speak into fathers' lives about spending quality time with your kids, and then if I spent all my time organizing the wrestling, wouldn't it, love? <laughs> so my wife, Julia, and my little girl, Tamaya. Wave, Tamaya. Waving. Yep. They're here with me tonight, my, uh, my tag team. Um, well, you know, I've got a, another clip to play towards the end of the message, but um, tonight I wanted to talk to you a little bit about my journey. I wanted to talk a little bit about trust. And for, where, for what you guys carry as a church, you guys are pioneers. You've been doing things in the nation, in Little Hawks Bay, some might say, for years ahead of your time. And you've been an example to other churches in the nation, whether, you, whether you're aware of that or not. Um, you're an example to me as a young Christian. When I, when I lived in Napier, you're a, as a church, you're an example. And Pastor Mike, um, I mean, you know already that you're an example uh, to the nation. And God is doing things with your senior pastor that blows my mind, and no doubt yours as well. But where we go as a church is not just about where our senior pastor goes, where our youth leaders go. It's about where we go as a church. It's a journey of trust. Um, God is the changer of lives, and he gives us opportunities to change. Most often, he doesn't change us himself. He opens up a platform, and he gives us an invitation. If we take it, we change. If we take that journey, and for me, the journey of trust— was probably the, the most important life-changing thing. I could have done a whole lot of stuff, but trust is really where it's at for me. So 15 years ago, the incredible journey of trust started for me. The year was 1995. Anyone was here in 1995? Yep. A few from 1995. I don't recognize you. <laughs> I recognize you, Pastor, but I don't recognize anyone else. 19. 1995, 15 years ago, in a building much the same as this, pretty much up the front, you know, much the same as this. I can't remember who the speaker was. It wasn't really important. But if I was to be really honest with you, it wasn't a building just like this. It was this building. 15 years ago, right over here, up the front, the journey of trust really took a new turn for me. I was going through... A bit of a tough time, and we'd come along to a meeting um, for more of the touch of God, more of the power of God. And as a church in the nation, it was happening more here than anywhere else I knew. So, of course, we'd come here. And we came along, a group of friends, and there was a call for people who wanted to experience a touch from God. Now, I thought, that this is me. I, I'm so hungry. I want God in my life. Young people, you've got to want God in your life above fun, above the good times above anything else, even above a bright future. God's more important than all of that. And that's, that was where my heart was. That's what I wanted. So I came rushing up the front, and I, I jumped in the prayer line. And a, a member of the prayer team came forward, and I remember he prophesied over me. I can't remember what the, 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 the word was. And then he promptly fell over, slain in the spirit, and I felt nothing. I thought, this is weird. God, what's going on? This, this guy just come up and and out he goes. And so I just thought, oh, well, I'm, that's okay. I'm just going to stay here because there's plenty more people still standing. They might come along. And another one came up. 
and laid hands on me and didn't even get any words out and fell down on the ground out cold. And another one came up and laid hands and fell over. And then I'm standing there and, and I'm starting to take out the prayer team. Um, they're, they're lying on the ground and I'm bewildered. And in fact, to be honest, bewildered is the wrong word. I had an attitude. I, I just got to be honest with you. I had an attitude with God. I was like, God, why didn't you touch me? So I went back to my seat with my attitude intact. I liked my attitude, so I thought I was right. So I went back, and God, you know, you, you didn't even touch me. You, you, where, where is your presence? See, I knew enough about God at that stage to know that God is real. God touches people. God moves. It's just that I wasn't experiencing the feeling of him moving in my life. The thing was, that went on for about 13 months of going up in prayer meetings, um, sometimes at this church, sometimes in my church over in Napier, and feeling absolutely nothing. You know, when people were um, breaking down in tears and they were um, tears of joy and experiencing the presence and touch of God all around me, and I felt really like I was on my own. I was a bit of a, a slow learner. It took me a while to realize that the presence of God was all over me. And I know now that when those men prophesied and prayed, it was the presence of God that knocked them over. That was already on me, but I didn't realize it. As I said, I was a bit of a slow learner. You'll get that through my message. But God was all over me, and for whatever reason that God had, he wanted me to trust him, for me to trust that he was on my life even when I didn't feel he was near. I had to trust. And it was only a season. These things we go through are only a season. God never wants to put a person in a position like that and, well, you're just going to have to, you know, because I thought at the time, I'm just going to have to be one of those ones who walks by faith and not by sight my whole life. I'm never going to feel the presence of God, but I'm still going to walk anyway. God's not like that. God wants, to, wants all of us to experience that Father's love and experience those waves of joy that Pastor Mike talked about flowing over. God wants all of us to experience that, but I was in a season. In uh, 2 Samuel 22, 31, I'm going to be flicking through a, a few of these scriptures, but it says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all of those who trust in him. And for me tonight, it's, it's that trust, in particular for the young people. It's a crazy journey being a teenager, a crazy journey these days. There's so many distractions, so many things out there, uh, so many things that vie for our affections, but we've just got to build that strong enough relationship to God. God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. And the, the word says, he is a shield to all who trust in him. And when I read the Word of God and I read something like that, I'm thinking, well, that would infer for me that He ain't a shield to those who don't trust Him. So our, the alternative to trusting God is not very really productive in our lives. You know, the, the children of Israel in the desert, they didn't trust God. You can hear it in their, in their grumblings, in their murmurings. You know, they said to God, you only brought us out here in the desert to kill us. And so He did. People say that it took them 40 years to cross the desert, a desert that shouldn't have even taken them two weeks. But it didn't. It took 40 years for God to raise up another generation and let that generation pass away without inheriting the promises of God because they didn't trust him and use someone else to take the promised land. And those, those 12 spies that went in and spied out the land, they weren't just 12 spies. 
They were 12 leaders of the tribes. They were 12 of the best, 12 of the leaders that were sent. You know, and we need to make sure that for us as church leaders, that we've got that mindset, that we've got, God, I really do trust you. And every single leader will be tested on this. God tests our trusting. We will go through tough times. It's not the devil having his run in your life. Although, you know, he he does try and get in there. But the Word of God says, he who keeps himself, the wicked one, cannot touch him. You know, God develops and grows us. We are on an incredible journey. And quite often, we don't know where it's going to turn next. Back to my notes, somewhere in here. Right. Anyway, 1995, it was a tough year for me. A year where God was teaching me not to walk by my emotions, but to trust Him. As I said before, I attended a church over in Napier, and I'd often go to meetings where the Spirit of God was moving in people's lives, where whole rows of people would just be getting bowled over under the presence and the anointing of God. And I was at another meeting, and the message, or rather the question, I I can't remember whether it was in Hastings or in Napier, but the question was asked, how hungry are you for God? And this is a question I've had to ask myself a lot of times in the journey. In particular in ministry, things get busy. You get caught up in the doing of the doing. And to be able to, it's the, the, the presence of God in worship and just the words that Pastor Mike was talking about, just that coming into that place, that presence of God. It's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do that. And it, platforms like that don't happen in every church. Hold on to what you've got. Make the most of it. You might have had a busy week and, oh, yeah, you know, um, the presence of God is, is often here like this in a meeting. It's not a common thing. You know, especially young people, every time you can, get into that still place. Get into that presence of God. You're going to need it for where you're going. There's a huge call on you. It's a huge call. 1995, it was a crazy time for me, but that message, how hungry are you for God? So I came up the front and I cried out to God. I wanted His touch so badly in my life. I wanted God more than anything. I was young, I was single, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities, but I knew that I wanted God in my life. This incredible, amazing Father whom I was on a journey to get to know, but I wanted more of Him. Many people that night received a touch from God in their emotions or a physical touch in their body, but I didn't at that time. Now, what I'm going to share with you isn't a normal thing. I think the fair amount of my journey is not normal, so don't worry, it won't happen to you. Or it may do, but it doesn't matter because God's in control. See, I cried out so hard, God, God, I need you in my life. Touch me. And what I actually ended up saying was, God, if you don't touch me, I'll die. I don't recommend that because God is God and he is the, the one who chooses whether I live or die. And I was naive and not aware that the power of life and death is in our tongue. And so I'd cried out, God, if you don't touch me, I'll die. What I'd actually done without knowing for it, what I'd kick-started and wasn't looking for, was because I'd pronounced that over my life. I said, God, if you don't do this, then I will die. And it was a very serious thing to say before God. It wasn't mine to say. What I'd actually done was open a door of death, the spirit of death and suicide, over my life. I didn't realize that much power was in my own tongue 
Now, this isn't a normal journey, so, you know, don't come up the front really guarded of what you say to God. Give Him your heart. Give Him everything that you've got in there. You see, it was a good lesson for me. It was a lesson I needed to learn. At that stage, I was learning that the power of death was in the tongue. And later on, I'd learn, and I'm still learning, that the power of life is in the tongue. So for me, I'm still here today. I learned lots out of that situation. Um, incredible deliverance. When I realized what I'd done, I was like, oh, God, I opened up this door in my life. That was so stupid. Forgive me. Please wipe it away. And, and you see, I'd be driving along in the car, and the spirit of suicide would, would come around me, come over the top, would like grab my hands over the top of the steering wheel. And if there was a tree or a sharp corner or another car, the spirit would come on me and try and pull my arms into the car or something. It couldn't. It felt like it wanted to for me, but it couldn't do it because God was still watching over my life. Just because the enemy comes in and he's having a go doesn't mean God is not still powerful. I'm still here today. It actually did nothing for me other than teach me a good lesson. But it was an oppression that I didn't need in my life. It was dragging me down. And when I confessed it before God and the pastor at the time prayed over me, gone in an instant, never to have an inkling of that spirit again. Its hold was completely broken. For me, it was a lesson. God was showing me things. He was teaching me. I'm still here today. God is worthy of my trust, and He knows the end from the beginning. And had I that whole situation again, I probably would have prayed the same thing, learned the same lessons, realized how powerful our God was, but also realized that the devil is really out to destroy the people of God. He's out to destroy everybody. I look at that scripture. He came to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. It took me a while to realize that he can't actually do that to those under the covering of the blood. I had an inward focus. I was always looking, you know, for me, it was us and them. I was looking at my church and thinking the devil's come to get us. He's out to get us. And until I realized he can't touch us when we're walking in alignment, when we're under the covering of the blood, he can't get in there. And when he does on occasion get in there because we step out of that alignment, we come right back in and he breaks the power of the curse and it's gone. Who he really is stealing and robbing and destroying and killing is the world out there. I had to have a, a change in my focus. I could never have been an effective youth pastor whilst I was still looking in the four walls. When I realized that he's really wreaking havoc out in my community, amongst families, when he's destroying families, when he's ripping families apart, and us, the church, the ones who have the mandate to stop it, were at that stage just standing around in our huddles, you know, not reaching out. And for me, it was, it was a huge mindset shift. I realized, man, the devil can't wreak havoc in our lives. He's actually destroying our communities. It's time that we got focused on rescuing them because the cries, the cries of the nation, they've gone up to God. And when he hears their cries, he sends, he doesn't send an answer. He sends a person as Pastor Mike said, he sends a person with a solution. That's you and I. Going back to my notes now. So by the end of 1995, I was having anxiety attacks. Uh, not that I knew what they were. I was training a little too hard at the gym. I was working late on assignments. I was missing my family a lot. And for me, I really felt like God was crushing me. And, and I know some of you will relate to that. But it was strange because even though I felt like he was crushing me, I still had a sense that God was in this and that this was a journey that I needed to trust God in. 
he had a plan and he would lead me through it. And I remember saying to him, and, and this was, was genuine, right in the middle of it, Lord, if this is the journey you want me to walk, I'll do it for you. If it's not, get me the heck out of here. But if it's the journey you want me to walk, I'm willing to walk this path for you. We need to be willing to go where God is leading. It's not always where we expect. The scripture, Job 13 verse 15 says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And it it was interesting that I brought that up for tonight because that was a, a scripture that was being preached I think I remember coming over to a meeting. I think Kevin Prosh maybe was, was um, ministering here. And that was a scripture that came up then. So, so much of tonight is bringing me back to 15, 16 years ago when I lived in this area. But my health went downhill from there. I went on to have three nervous breakdowns before my 21st birthday. And things got worse. But the worse they got, the more I relied on God. The more I had to rely on God every day. The more, it was strange. It was the more that I suffered, the more that I had to trust God. I can't really explain it. I remember saying to somebody, I wouldn't wish the journey I've been on, I wouldn't wish it upon an enemy, maybe a friend, if I knew the result would be the same. But for me, it was my journey of trust. You will all have your own journeys of trust to go on. But that was mine. Over the next year, I'd gotten so bad with anxiety and depression that I was room bound. I couldn't come out of my house. Um, I was so bound up by my brain that wasn't functioning correctly, and it was becoming much harder to tell reality from the crazy thoughts that were flying around in my head. The brain signals, if if those of you that know a little bit about how the brain works, um, the brain signals were all crossed up, and it it was a mess. And I remember, like it was yesterday, when a friend said to me, it's time you went and saw a doctor, because I'd actually gone to a doctor a little bit before that, when originally I'd, I'd, I'd had the first nervous breakdown. And he said to me, I think you've got a virus. Don't they say that all the time? He said, I think you've got a virus. Go home and sleep. Twelve months later, I went back to him and I said, it's not working. So I told you I was a slow learner. Most of you would have gone back after a week. <laughs> but I'd done that and, and, and it went on to get worse. And I remember being so freaked out. Um, and a good friend of mine, uh, JD, John Drower, some of you will know him, he was bringing me in from the country, and I remember crawling under the van, under the seats, and I had a hold of, the, of those iron bars under the seats, and I was like a scared, caged animal, and there was no way I was going to come out for anyone. He's a bit bigger than me, um, and he managed to coax me out nicely. And, you know, I, I went in and, and talked with the doctor and ended up, um, ended up on Prozac and a few different things that helped me through that gap. But really, it was my relationship with God. It was the trust in God that pulled me up and out of there. Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his, his God. You see, it's not the having of faith that does us benefit. It's the testing of it. We will always be tested, but God doesn't test us for us to fail. God always puts obstacles in front of us so that we can smash them. That's what it's like being in the wrestling ring. It's like the death dealers. Those were the guys that got smashed off the top of the cage. God sets, God sets up giants so that we can knock them down. He sets up obstacles and challenges because we have that spirit, of course, to knock down the challenges. There's so much more that I could share about that part of my journey, but 
enough to say that it was a dark time. And to be honest, if I'd applied more wisdom in areas that I didn't have at the time, then things would have been different. It wouldn't have been a a seven-year journey out of anxiety and depression. Uh, It would have been much quicker than that. But at the time, realistically, I didn't have the wisdom to apply it. And still, God was God. God was faithful through all of that time for me. I knew that he loved me. I knew that his presence was around me, and I had to trust. For me, it was all about trust. See, we need to, we need to get a grip. Young people, I've, I've got some stuff that I'm about to share in terms of being different from the world, in terms of giving an offering to God of, of your life, of our lives, because I consider myself a young person. But we've got to be able to trust God with every part of our lives. And being a youth pastor, I find that a lot of young people, it's, God, I'll, I'll trust you with my finances. Yeah, because, you know, you got the cattle on a thousand hills. You're, you're awesome. I've heard testimonies of uh, amazing businessmen and even ones that have come from this church. So, yeah, I'm going to trust you with my finance. I'm going to trust you with my study because I'm not that clever and I need some help. So I trust you with my study. But when it comes to relationships, I think I'm going to do it my way. None of, this, none of you young people are there. You don't, you don't operate like that. Shake your head, you know. Nah, that's good. Youth pastor's on board. <sighs> Can't stop us now. <laughs> yeah. But trust. We've got to be able to trust. For me, learning to trust my leaders was an important journey. But learning to trust God ultimately is, it, it, that's set above this. I find so many Christians today who do their own thing against godly wisdom because they're afraid, realistically, to trust God. They say, God, I trust you, but it's just, it's man that I don't trust. I just don't trust man. I trust you. So if you say it, I'll do it. But, you know, if, if someone else says it, then never mind, I'll, I'll make my own decisions in this area. Psalm 18, verse 118, verse 8 says, It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account, and that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that be unprofitable for you. You see, it's God. God is the one who says, Obey those who have the rule over you. So if you say, I don't want to obey them, they might get it wrong. But it's God who says obey them. Is it God that we don't trust? And we're all faced with this. I'm the same. I've had many circumstances where we're like, Ooh, I don't quite know, Lord, where you're going with this one. But we really, if we really trust God, we will realize that God is big enough to override somebody's mistake somebody's oversight, God is able to turn that around and use it for our good. There's a scripture in, in Chronicles, and it said, uh, it's talking about an enemy that they faced. And it said, they, prayed out, they cried out to God, and he said, he heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. There was so much that we will gain in our journey. What, what a waste it would have been for me to go through those years of anxiety and depression Years of mental illness, if I never gained anything out of it, 
You know, through that time, because I trusted in God, I gained so much from it. It set me up for what I'm doing now. It set me up to be able to minister to people who have gone through these things. And it set me up to have compassion because I wasn't really a compassionate kind of leader. I was kind of like, get it sorted out or get out. Easy, easy, sorted. Give me some more. That was no way to lead. You know, God needed to build compassion in me, to build understanding. And he did it on an incredible journey. So some things had gone down over my life 15 years ago and in leadership over my life that could have been done a little better, to say the least. I was submitted to people at times, made a few judgment calls that even to their own admission later on, it's like, nah, probably shouldn't have, have made that call. Would have, been, would have been better to make this call. See, I, I could have let that at that time get me hardened. I could have said, well, God, they made a mistake. They're not perfect. I'm never going to submit to leadership again in my life. How stupid would that have been? Because it was really the word of God that I was submitted to in obeying those that had the rule over me. It wasn't so much about the person, but it was about being submitted to the word of God. That means if we're submitted to the word of God and some rubbish goes down, that means it's God's responsibility to help put that back together. And I tell you, when, when, when it all hits the fan, I would rather have God on my side putting it back together than trying to do it myself. I'd, I'd make a lousy God. God can turn anything around. God can breathe life into something that is stone cold dead. And for me, I'd gotten as low that, I mean, I knew that I couldn't even walk in a straight line. I was having dizzy spells. They scanned my brain, but they found nothing. One person got it, but they did. They, they said, oh, there's nothing. There's, no, can't find it. They were looking for a brain tumor, but they didn't find one. But I, I couldn't even walk in a straight line. My blood pressure was up. It was down. It was all over the place. God really took me to a place that I knew what I was capable of. And the answer was nothing much. I wasn't capable of it. I couldn't even hold a conversation one-on-one with somebody, let alone talk to a group of people and let alone even think about being in leadership. But God is the restorer of years that have been broken. God will put us back together. God will do so much of this. He will fight on our behalf if we trust him. That generation that died in the desert, they didn't have to die in the desert. They could have been the one that inherited the promised land, but they lacked the trust. They didn't trust God. How are we doing for time there? Because I have no idea what time you finish or... Sweet. Okay. Any single people in the house? Wave at me if you're single. Yeah, there's some definitely single ones there. Okay, I mean young adults. You know, ah, never mind, I'm just having a bit of a... Well, not a battle, but we've got some teenagers in, in the house back in Gizzy that we're working strongly with. That's to say the least. But that, that whole area, that whole journey when you're single, for me it was, it took some interesting turns, but um, I want to share a little bit about that. But before I do, before I share a little bit about the story, see, I can share it now because my wife's, she, is there, are there speakers in the mums and babies room? She can hear this? Okay. <laughs> I was, mm, I'm going to do that. Um, but, but just before I do, because most of the hands of the single young people came up over here, we don't want to be part of the statistics 
that the world has got. At the moment, statistics across the world are pretty much the same for broken marriages in church as they are out of church. And not so much in churches like what we're in here and House of Breakthrough, but in general, across the board, they're the same. I wonder why. I wonder why they're the same. God wants to exalt us, and God gives us wisdom that we can walk in the wisdom and be exalted above every nation. God wants the, the marriages in this church in particular, and you as young people, to be a shining light to the rest of your city. God wants and is working his hardest to deliver complete success into your lives in the area of relationships, marriages, and families. Because you will be and are charged with the future of this church going forward. If you look 20 years, 30 years from now, if you could go and see into the future, the responsibility that will be sitting on your shoulders, it's an important thing. But God is wanting to deliver success, and He does this through wisdom. So if we're willing to submit to the wisdom of God, then God can deliver success in the area of marriages and families. And I know it's a, it's a tumultuous, is that a, yeah, it's turmoil. There's turmoil that goes on sometimes. Yeah, this young man looked at me like, yeah, he knows, he knows where I'm at. It can be some turmoil. But in the story of Achan, when, when Achan went in and he took the thing that was accursed, one thing he picked up was a, was a Babylonian cloak. And for me, that Babylonian cloak represents something that was pleasing to the eye. It wasn't money. He took some money, but he took a cloak, a way of doing things. And if we take up the world's way of doing relationships and we wear that, we accept that, we clothe ourselves with that. We're like, well, it's, o- it's okay to do it this way. It's okay, um, you know, to, to, to go hook up. It's okay to, you know, I mean, it's, it's happening on TV. Everyone's doing it. We can put that over ourselves. We bring curse into our lives, not blessing. When we say, okay, God, I'm not going to take the way of the world. I'm going to do this your way. And I'm going to, that, that coat, I'm going to chuck it away. It's not, it's not for me. It's not, it might have been for my parents' generation, but it's not for me. I'm going to make a stand and I'm going to do it your way. If you're a little unsure of exactly how to go about relationships God's way, then you've got some incredible pastors here and youth pastors that are going to help you on that journey. I'm sure you know it already, but an encouragement from me. February the 11th. 2001, Gisborne Elam Church, I'm standing at the back, minding my own business. I was always standing at the back, minding my own business. And in she walks. I was just looking up to see if she walked in again, but she didn't. And of course, like a good Christian, I went straight to the leadership, my leadership, and I, and I talked to him about, oh, I got some feelings developing, and I believe God's saying some stuff to me about this young lady. You know, being a good Christian, I didn't, I didn't shoot off to my mates and say, wow. There's this really hot girl who's just come along to church. The thought crossed my mind, but it didn't. I, I thought, no, I, I want to do this right. I've gone through one divorce. I went through my parents' divorce at 13 years old. I don't want that for my life. I want blessing in this area. So I shot off to the pastors and talked to Pastor Margie and Pastor Jess, and they couldn't figure out what had taken me so long to come and see them because, of course, it was a God thing. They were just waiting for me to come. But I didn't realize the shock I was in for. Um, I asked Julia out and, and bought her some roses and, you know, did the romantic thing. Guys, you, you know, you got to know how to do that. Actually, Pastor Jess said, would you like any help on the romance side of stuff? I can give you some ideas. Oh, no, no, I got it sorted. Thank you. So, 
So I, I took her some roses and I asked her to go out for coffee and she crushed my feelings and told me she wasn't interested in me and there was just no way and there was all these things and nah, out of my life, gone. So it was a nightmare. It was a journey of trust because I believed that God was in it. I'd gone and submitted it to my leaders and, and honestly, young people, I was at the stage where if I'd gone and I'd said to them, hey, I kind of think God is, is doing this and, and speaking to me about this woman. If they had said, no, turn around and walk away, I would have been gone. I said to God, God, I've got emotions. They sometimes get carried away. You've put these people in my life and over my life to guard me and to bring blessing. So I'm going to be submitted to what they have to say. Anyway, I'm going to cut this a little bit shorter. So that journey took a long time. You know, some of you are thinking a long time is like months or something. But... Julia was not interested, and she made it quite clear. And this was, and I held on to it for years, two or three years. I was still holding on to it, and I went and had a meeting with Pastor Norm, and he's pretty straight up. And he just said, "You got to drop it." Um, he just said, "You got to let it go. You got to walk away. Walk away, and never turn around." And so at that point, I was like, "Whoa!" Firstly. This was, this was my pastor who had supported me and said, yeah, I think this is God. Now he's saying, no, it's not. What am I supposed to do here? God's not schizophrenic. I was, but God wasn't. So my, my senior pastor said, you've got to drop it. And I said, okay, God, what do I do here? Do I, do I drop it like he said? You're testing me on submission and trust here, aren't you, God? Do I drop it or do I hold on to it? A word that God's personally given me. In fact, she walked in the building and I didn't even get to see her. My head was turning around. She was in my peripheral vision and God said, she's the one. You know, and, and that was enough for me to hold on to for three years of rejection. Some of you think, you've been suffering rejection. Seven. I haven't finished my story yet. <laughs> ah, I know where you're going with that. You see, Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And he, it, was as, it was as if it was no time at all because of the great love that he had for her. You've got a good man to follow here, young people. So um, I dropped it. I, I walked away. I said, okay, God, I don't understand this, but I, I'm submitted to my leadership. I'm going to walk away. And I dropped it. I walked away. I, no, I didn't hang out. I didn't entertain the thoughts of I really do like her. She's an amazing woman, all of that kind of stuff. I walked away. And one year later, Pastor Norm called me in for a meeting, a surprise meeting, and he said to me, I don't know how to say this. But God had been speaking to me then, and I kind of knew what he was saying, and I had an inkling this meeting might be about Julia. And he says, well, actually, I think God's doing something here now. Julia's come and seen us, and, and yeah, she really believes this is God. And, and, I, and instead of, because I, I was so confident that God was speaking to me again, I was actually at Global Impact, and I'd written down what God was saying, put it in my pocket about God was going to do what he originally had started. So instead of answering Pastor Norman saying, yes, well, I agree, I just pulled out the piece of paper that had what God was saying to me on it, and he read it, and he smiled, and he said, it's on. Um, <laughs> and it was on. Yep. So five years, five years to the day, five years to the day that God had first spoken to those words, Julia walked down the aisle at House of Breakthrough, and we were married. Um, a testimony to one, to submission to leadership, to God can turn anything around. Um, God was wanting to deliver success 
Had I not trusted him, I would never have got there because it was in fact the, little lesson for the guys, it was in fact me saying to, to God, okay, I'll drop it. And I left it alone. And that's actually when God started working. So I think had I been a little wiser and not so much of a slow learner and dropped it a bit earlier, God might have been able to get in there and do some stuff. But it took me a while. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out with a clip that's just about to play because we are done in time. But before I play this clip, because it relates to the young people, it's a quick one. Here's a word for the youth. And I write things down on all sorts of bits of cardboard and paper. A generation comes to the altar, not broken and lame, not messed up, but whole and ready for service. This is what is pleasing to God. Not like the sacrifice of Cain, but the sacrifice of Abel. Your sacrifice, your life laid down for the kingdom, will bring more of the glory and power of God than the broken sacrifices of past generations. You have an incredible gift within your hands. You have an amazing legacy that you carry that's passed down in this church. Some of you would have just come in. Some of you are brought up in this place. But if you're at that place where you are young, you are single, you have your whole life ahead of you, you have an offering that past generations would die to be able to be in your position. They've come to God later on in life. They've made a mess of things. They've messed up relationships. They've messed up other people's lives. What they would give to be able to have what you have, an offering that is pleasing to God, if you lay it down, There is nothing that you cannot accomplish, nothing that God cannot do through you. And the future of this church is in safe hands if you lay your perfect offering before God. Your life, you don't have to be perfect, but laying down your life for the kingdom, God can pick it up and he can do anything with it. I'm just going to play that clip and then I'm going to hand over to Pastor Mike. So this little clip is about fathers. It was a clip we played at, played at the wrestling. And for the young people, if you lay down your life, if you make the right choices now, you'll be ministering to people. This, won't, this clip won't apply to you because your children will not be having to walk and figure out dysfunction. They will have the blessing of God. Let's play that clip. Thank you. 